0: Well, we'll go ahead and get into our lesson. Of course, after the lesson's finished, uh, we'll take just a moment in case uh, someone's thought of something that they forgot to mention and then we'll close with a season of prayer after the lesson. We'll be back in Genesis chapter number 18, Genesis chapter number 18, finishing up what we started last week. Uh, For the last uh, two or three weeks, I've been ambitious and thought that I would do one chapter, and I haven't managed to do it yet. And so uh, we're back in chapter number 18. We'll be finishing up uh, the lesson that we started. You can see there on your worksheets that I went ahead and filled in uh, the answers that we covered last week. And uh, actually, I even used a handwriting font, you know, so it looks authentic there on your worksheet, but uh, I filled in the answers that we covered last week, and so we'll be starting uh, with point number five, point number five, uh, and that point is a proven servant, and so that is where we'll be starting uh, this evening, uh, we looked last week at Genesis 18 at Abraham, the friend of God. We saw how that God came and He personally visited Abraham, and of course, Abraham uh, recognized. Uh, who the Lord was. He was hasty to respond to the Lord. He humbly requested of the Lord, and he served the Lord, and we looked at that. And and then we finished by looking at Sarah's laughter and the Savior's long-suffering. And we talked a little bit about uh, the comparison, how that Sarah said, I didn't laugh, uh, but the Lord was gracious, whereas whenever we consider Ananias and Sapphira... They lied and they died because of it. And we talked about the heart behind why we do what we do. And I think it's interesting, if you look there uh, at the passage talking about Sarah's laughter, it says that she laughed within herself. So this means that it wasn't an audible laugh. So the Lord's long-suffering goes even beyond the fact that He forgave her of the lie. He used her laughter as a way to prove to her Sarah, I can hear you laugh when it's inside your mind. Sarah, I can give you a child. He used this as a way to confirm that he was able to do what he had promised to do. And so that is where we ended uh, last week. And, of course, the passage kind of takes a turn. It takes a change here in verse number 16. And we begin seeing the Lord talking to Abraham concerning what he is going to do with the land of Sodom. And so again, because of the the time and the length of the passage, we will read the passage as we go through the lesson. But we'll be starting in verse number 16. I'm going to go to the Lord in prayer, and then we will get into the lesson. Father, we thank you for this day. And Lord, as we've just spent a few minutes, uh, Lord bringing all request, no, making requests known to one another. And Lord, praising you for the ant prayers that you have answered. And Father, we thank you that we serve a God, uh, Father, as we said, that can do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. And Lord, uh, you are interested in our concerns. You are willing, uh, Lord, to meet our needs no matter how great or how small. And Father, I thank you uh, for your faithfulness to your children. I thank you for your love for your children. Thank you, Lord, that we can bring these needs before you in prayer. Now, Lord, as we begin to look at this lesson this evening, and, Lord, we consider, uh, Lord, (coughs) Abraham and uh, how he responded, Lord, when he heard, uh, Lord, that you were going to bring judgment on Sodom. And, Lord, we look at his prayer. Father, I pray that these things will instruct us. I pray that they'll, uh, Lord, challenge us. And, Father, Lord, that we will go from here, uh, Lord, having learned how to approach you, uh, Father, when there is a need that needs to be met, Father, I pray. I pray you be with the children's services downstairs. I pray you be with Pastor Kent as he's teaching the young folk. I pray for Jeremy as he's teaching the teens. Lord, I pray that you'll just bless and be with these men as they, uh, Lord, sow the Word of God. And, Lord, they plant the seed in the hearts of the young people. Father, I pray that the young people will listen. I pray to Father, Lord, that their hearts will be affected. And, Father, Lord, that we will see a generation, a Lord raised up, with a heart for serving you, Father, I pray. Thank you for your goodness to us. Bless us now as we look at your word. And Father, we'll praise you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. We start there in verse number 16. We'll read uh, down through a couple of verses here. The Bible says, And the men rose up from thence. This is the Lord and the two angels that had met with Abram. They rose up from thence and looked toward Sodom. And Abraham went with them to bring them on the way. And I don't know how you picture this, but I see them standing up from the table there outside the tent and walking over to the crest of the hill. And when they get to the crest of the hill, you can kind of see the plain. And off in the distance, you can see the cities of the plain there. And Abraham kind of walked with them to the crest of the hill to tell them goodbye and walked over there with them. And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham that thing which I do? seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I know him, that he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he hath spoken of him, There's three things that I see here in this passage of Scripture concerning the fact that Abraham was a proven servant of God. Abraham's been following God for some time now. And boy, we've looked at a lot of Abraham's journey, a lot of the things that have happened. Uh, but n- regardless of the times that Abraham has stumbled, regardless of the mistakes that he's made, Abraham has kept getting up uh, and continued serving God. And let me just interject this. In the Christian. Christian. Christian life, all of us are going to have times when we stumble. All of us are going to have times when we do things that we regret. But the difference between a saint and a sinner is the saint will get back up and continue toward God. There will be mistakes, there will be stumbling, there will be things that we regret, but if you look at the life of a Christian throughout his entire life, you will see that although there were ups and downs, the course of his life never changed, he always followed God. And this is what we see in Abraham's life. Abraham has been following God for some time now. He is a proven servant of God. Three things that I see here about Abraham being a proven servant. First, I see that he was called as the servant of God. He was called to be the servant of God. In verse number 18, it says, seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. He was called into the service of God. And you know what? Every born-again Christian, every born-again Christian has been called into the service of God. Every Christian is called to share the gospel. Every Christian is called to be faithful to the work of the Lord. Every Christian has been called to be a servant of God, and Abraham was called as the servant of God. Not only was he called as the servant of God, but next we see that Abraham was a proven servant and that Abraham was convinced of his duty to God. Abraham was convinced concerning his duty to God. You know, some have been called to be servants of God, but they're yet to be convinced that they need to serve God. When they accepted Christ, God called them to serve, but many of them are yet to accept that call. They're yet to be convinced, but Abraham was convinced that he had a duty to God. He had a responsibility to God. He said in verse number 19, For I know him, that he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment, that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he hath spoken of him. He was convinced. God said, I know that Abraham is going to do what I have called him to do. Abraham is going to be faithful to do what God has called him to do. He was convinced of his duty to God. Now, it's interesting to note, very interesting to note, that this is the first place in the Bible that God makes a reference to the responsibility of parents in raising their children. This is the first place that we encounter this here in the Word of God, but when we encounter it, we see that there are some several, there are several important points made about the responsibility of parents to train their children. Here in this reference we see uh, three truths. First, we see here in this verse that the primary primary responsibility of spiritual instruction and guidance falls on the Father. It falls on the Father. He said, I know Him that He will command His children and His household after Him. The primary responsibility for spiritual instruction and guidance falls on on the Father. Yeah. Secondly, we see that the focus of training should be first on the commandments of God. He says, Herefore I know that He will command His children and household after Him that they shall keep the way of the Lord. The first point of his training was to train his children to follow God. I know that Abraham will train his children to follow God. If he doesn't do anything else, he will train his children to follow God. And we see the primary responsibility of training children is the fathers. The focus of training should first be on the commandments of God. And then we see, thirdly, the secondary focus is on their interaction with fellow men. It says here that he will uh, teach his children to keep the way of the Lord and to do justice and judgment. So fathers are to train their children to follow God and to interact well with their fellow men. The first place in the Bible that we find that God mentions parents training their children, he mentions that they're to train them to follow God and interact with others. And so, very interesting, God said, I know that Abraham is going to do what I have called him to do. And then thirdly, We see that Abraham was a proven servant of God because he was concerned over the judgment of God. Abraham had been following God long enough to know that the judgment of God was a serious thing and he was concerned over the judgment of God. And we see this from verse number 22 through the rest of the chapter. And actually our next point is going to clearly illustrate that Abraham was concerned over the judgment of God. In addition to being proven we see in verse 22 to 23 that Abraham was a pleading intercessor. Abraham was a pleading intercessor. Now this passage of Scripture, Genesis 18, verse 22 through 33, has proven to be a valuable passage of Scripture in understanding the nature of prayer. As a matter of fact, George Mueller. And we'll, we'll talk more about George Mueller in a minute. George Mueller said that this passage influenced him in regard to prayer more than probably any other passage in the Word of God. This passage of Scripture helps us understand the nature of prayer. Here in this passage, verse 22 through verse number 33, and you know the story, it is Abraham pleading with God concerning the judgments that's going to come on Sodom. And here in this passage, Abraham becomes an intercessor. Abraham becomes the intercessor. In other words, Abraham places himself between God and the one in need. The Bible says that there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. And Jesus is the one that mediates between us and God for us. And although we cannot be mediators, We can be intercessors and we can find ourselves in that same location whereas we know someone who is in need of prayer and we know a God that can make a difference and we beseech God on the behalf of this person. Abraham is being an intercessor. He places himself between Lot and God to plead with God On Lot's behalf. The role of an intercessor is taught all throughout the Word of God. Uh, We see uh, Moses pleading with God concerning the children of Israel. Uh, We see Job uh, interceding with God on behalf of his children. Uh, We see Jesus uh, praying uh, for the nation of Israel over and over and over through the Word of God. We see people in intercessory prayer. Someone who can pray, many times praying for someone who isn't or cannot pray. Intercessory prayers. Abraham interceded for Lot. Intercessory prayer, as I said, is when we enter into the place of pleading with God on behalf of someone else. Oftentimes, when we enter into this place of intercessory prayer, the person we're praying for may be aware of their need for prayer and they may also be praying and there's definitely a place where brother Rick could have a burden on his heart and he could share it with the church and brother Rick is praying and we enter into prayer with brother Rick in intercessory prayer and intercessory prayer is definitely that when we partner with someone but often intercessory prayer takes place when the person we're praying for doesn't even know they need prayer. Probably the first time that I remember as a Christian praying on behalf of someone else who didn't know they needed prayer. I was just a young boy. I was, I was probably about 14 years old, 13 or 14 years old. And My youngest brother, and I've told this story before, but it, it's a good application. My youngest brother, Doc, who attended church here for a little while, Fell off the back of a chair. He would only been a year or two old at that time. He fell off the back of a chair and he hit a concrete floor. And when my dad picked him up, there was blood running out of his ear and down the side of his face. And he was unconscious. I was just a 13 or 14-year-old boy. Mom and dad ran out the door and got in the vehicle and sped off to the hospital. And I just fell on my knees right there and began begging God for my brother. I prayed and I prayed. I prayed for hours. Sometime in the wee hours of the morning I had fallen asleep buried up on the floor from praying. The telephone rang and I answered the phone and it was Dad. He said hey, we're going to keep Doc for a little while longer and watch him but just wanted to let you know there's nothing wrong. He's okay. At that moment, my little one or two-year-old brother did not know he needed prayer, but I knew he needed prayer, and I knew if there was anybody that could help my brother, it was God, and I began to pray on the behalf of my brother. That is incessory prayer, praying for someone, even in the case when they don't even realize that they need prayer. The old gospel song, and some of y'all probably familiar with the old gospel song, Somebody Prayed For Me. Boy, I'm telling you what, it just so clearly demonstrates. The chorus says, Somebody prayed for me. They had me on their mind, they sacrificed their time, they fell down on their knees and prayed for me. They had no doubt that God could bring me out, that He could save my soul and set me free. I'm so glad somebody prayed for me. This is what Abraham is doing. Lot has no idea what is coming. Lot has no idea that judgment is going to fall on the wicked city because of their wicked deeds. The entire city has no idea what is coming, but Abraham knows, and Abraham is beseeching God. Here in this passage... We see Abraham entering into intercessory prayer for Lot and his family. As we look at this example of Abraham's prayer, I want to point out several things, and I will say to you that I've added some points that's not in your notes, so you might want to write them on the side there. As we go along, I'll let you know which ones those are. But as we look at this example of Abraham's prayer, the first thing we see is Abraham's position. Abraham's position. In verse number 22, it says, And the men turned their faces from thence, and went toward Sodom. But Abraham stood yet before the Lord. And Abraham drew near and said, Wilt thou also destroy the righteous with the wicked? We see Abraham's position. Upon hearing the news of the coming judgment of Sodom, Abraham found himself in a unique position. Uh, He had knowledge of the coming judgment, He was in the presence of God. He loved his nephew. Abraham is in a place where he can do something about what is getting ready to happen. There was only one logical response, and that was to intercede with God on behalf of his nephew Lot. In considering Abraham's position, I see first, and this is a point that's not in your notes, but in considering his position, I see first his awareness, Abraham's awareness. Abraham, because of his closeness to God, was aware of a judgment that was about to fall on the city of Sodom, although the people in Sodom had no idea it was about to happen. You know what? Oftentimes, the reason people do not see that the judgment hand of God is getting ready to fall on their life is because they're not close to God. But many times those who are close to God, as Abraham was in this account, they are aware that God is getting ready to judge. And the people in Sodom had no idea that the judgment hand of God was about to fall on them. But Abraham was close to God. Abraham could see what was coming. Abraham was aware of the judgment. And so Abraham began to pray for those who didn't even have any idea of what was about to happen. Because of his closeness, he had been given information that God had came to the end of his mercy in regards to Sodom's rebellion. Secondly, when we consider Abraham's position, and this will be another one you'll want to write on the side, we see Abraham's attention. We've seen his awareness. Now we see his attention. Look at the last part of verse number 22. But Abraham stood yet before the Lord. Now I find this very interesting. Abraham has just got the news. The city where your nephew lives. And and don't forget, just a few chapters back, Abraham took all of his hired servants and went and attacked uh, five different kings in order to get his nephew back. I'm not sure why, but Abraham loves Lot. Abraham thinks a lot of Lot. He has risked his life to save Lot. He has just got news that the city that Lot dwells in is getting ready to be destroyed. And how does Abraham respond? Well, we don't see him running after the angels. If you look there in the text, you'll see that the angels have already left. The angels are already on their way. It's just Abraham and the Lord standing there now. The angels are already gone. But I don't see Abraham running after the angels. Nor do I see Abraham saddling up his best horse to ride to Sodom and warn Lot that he needs to get out of the city. Now, both of these would seem like normal responses, but I want you to see what Abraham's attention is on. Abraham stood yet before the Lord. Abraham said if there is somebody that can take care of Lot in this situation, it is the Lord. Abraham realized this situation is out of my hands. There is nothing I can do about this. There is no way I can stop this. Uh, There is nothing that I can do, but I know someone who can. And Abraham turned his attention to the Lord Thirdly, concerning Abraham's uh, a position, and this is a third one you'll want to write on the side under position, I see Abraham's approach. Abraham drew near to God. It says in verse number 23, and Abraham drew near. The Bible shows how different people reacted when they heard of coming judgment. When God told Jonah that he was going to destroy Nineveh, Jonah was glad. When Jesus knew about the coming judgment of of Jerusalem, he cried. But when Abraham knew that God was ready to judge Sodom, Abraham prayed. He took his needs to God. The Bible tells us in Hebrews 4, verse number 16, let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. James 4 verse number 8 says draw nigh to God and he will draw near unto you. What did Abraham do? He drew nigh to God. He stood before the Lord and then he approached the Lord with his request. Now this was before all the ceremonial things had been set in place and we know that that took place but we know at Calvary the veil of the temple was rent in twain and you and I can draw nigh to God. We can approach the throne of God with our needs just as Abraham did here in this story. Next, in addition to Abraham's position as a pleading intercessor, we see his persistence in his intercession. Letter B in your notes, we see Abraham's persistence in his prayer. If you look... In verse 24, down through verse number 32, we see Abraham beginning his bartering with God. He begins with 50. Yea, if there be 50 righteous. What if there's less? Than, five less than 50? 45, 40, 30, 20. All the way down to 10, Abraham is bargaining with God. Now, I've never been to Israel. I believe you have, Brother Rick. They say that if you go to Israel, that's how you do business in Israel. You bargain and barter all the way. So I don't know if they're just, you know, taking after their father Abraham and what he did here or what it is. But Abraham bargained with God. He started with 50, and he continued to he continued to ask God, What about this? What about this? What about this? Abraham was persistent. Now I've got three things for you to write on the side under persistence. First, in considering Abraham's persistence in this matter of prayer, I see his argument. His argument. Abraham made his request to God based on God's character. He made his request based on God's character. Abraham knew that God will always do what is right. Therefore when he came to God he brought that request. Will the judge of the earth do right? He brought his request based on God's character. As I said earlier, Genesis 18 this passage of scripture greatly influenced uh, George Mueller. It is said that George Mueller we know him as the man who had the orphanages, who was the great prayer warrior of days gone by uh, if you never read the story of George Mueller, I encourage you to do so. It's been many years since I've read it. I, as I was studying this, I thought, man, I need to read that autobiography again. But boy, I'm telling you what, just amazing, amazing answers to prayer. And I'm running out of time. I'm telling you, we, y'all got to give me more time. But uh, <laughs> there's, there was one occasion where it was said that Mr. Mueller needed some finances for the orphan. And the orphanage had gained popularity enough that he knew he could ask the churches and they would meet the need. But he wanted all of his supply to come from God. And so he said he wasn't going to ask the churches. Time got closer. Now we're a week away. Now we're a day away. Now we're mere hours away. Someone says to George Mueller, You just ask the churches, they'll meet the need. And George Mueller said, if I ask the churches, I'm telling God I don't have faith that he's going to meet the need. I'm telling you, I don't have that kind of faith. But if you continue reading, the need was met within minutes of the deadline. He was a man of faith. And this passage influenced George Mueller to become that man of prayer. He said Genesis 18 was one of the greatest secrets of prayer. When he talked about... Uh, His method of prayer. He said that in studying Abraham's method of prayer here uh, George Mueller realized that you could use argument in pleading your case before God. In other words telling God this is what you said you would do. This is what I'm trusting in God. This promise is where I'm putting my faith and I want to see you act on this promise. He said, this is what Abraham did. This is what I'm going to do. And he said that George Mueller would often in his prayer remind the Lord that the orphan boys and girls entrusted to his care were not his orphans. They were God's. Yeah. <laughs> and the need was not George Mueller's, but the need was God's. And George Mueller would come to God and say, your children are in need, and I'm letting you know that you need to take care of your children. He would remind the Lord that this was God's work, not George Mueller's work. He would remind the Lord that that God had said he was the father of the fatherless. So these orphans belonged to him. And God would answer the prayer. And we see that just as this is the way George Mueller prayed, this is the way that Abraham prays. Abraham, in verse number 25, he says the last sentence, In his prayer, he says to God, Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? He pleaded with God based on God's character. You know, a lot of times our prayers don't get answered because not only are we not praying based on God's character, but we're praying based on our own fleshly lusts. Abraham prayed based on God's character. And I know what you're thinking, but the city still got destroyed. Just hang on, all right? Cleared that up for you. Now, whenever this method of prayer is presented, some will will propose that that's a wrong spirit in approaching God. You can't approach God in that spirit. And certainly, you could definitely handle this in the wrong way. But in verse number 27, we see that not only did Abraham come to God based on the character of God, but he came to God with the right attitude. This is something you'll want to write on the side. We see his attitude in his persistence. In verse number 27, Abraham answered and said, Behold now, I have taken upon me to speak unto the Lord. Now he's referring to himself. Which am but dust and ashes. Abraham said, Lord, I know I'm making a big request. But Lord, I understand that I'm unworthy. And if you answer this prayer, it's not based on who I am, but it's based on who you are. We see Abraham's uh, his spirit in this prayer. He was aware of his place in the presence of God. He understood that he was unworthy of God's attention and he understood the great privilege that he had in being able to even bring his request before God, that God would even hear and consider him. And as he brought this request before God, he did so with full acknowledgement of his position before God. In Micah 6.8, the Bible tells us he has showed the old man what is good. And what doth the Lord require of thee, but to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with thy God. Abraham humbled himself before the Lord. Abraham understood the importance of humbling himself before God. Thirdly, as I consider Abraham's persistence, I want to point out you'll write this one on the side. Abraham's appeal, his appeal. You know something that is wonderful about this thing of prayer, wonderful about the God we serve, is that he knows our hearts. He knows what we're really asking. He knows the nature of our request. And as Abraham bargained with God, He said, will you destroy the righteous with the wicked? Abraham knew that the city of Sodom was wicked and that the city of Sodom deserved to be destroyed. Will you destroy the righteous with the wicked? Abraham, hoping in his heart that although Lot had moved down to the city of the plain, that Lot was still a righteous man. He said, what if there be 50? The Lord said, if there be 50, I won't destroy it. Abraham said to himself, I doubt there's 50. Forty-five. 30, 20, 10. We don't know exactly how many descendants Lot had, but many have speculated that there were 10 in Lot's family. Lot and his wife, his two daughters that were still at home. Then we know that he had sons-in-law. If there were three daughters, there'd have been three sons-in-laws. That would have totaled 10 in Lot's family. Abraham was praying that God would spare the city. This is what Abraham was saying. But the request of his heart was spare lot. The request of his heart was spare lot. I love lot. Spare lot. That was his heart's request. Abraham had pleaded his case. He made his request based on the righteousness of God. And his, his heartbeat was that Lot not be destroyed with the wicked. And when we get into chapter number 19 next week, we'll be getting into, or be two weeks from now, we'll be getting into chapter number 19. We'll see that although there wasn't ten righteous in the city, God heard the cry of Abraham's heart, and God spared. Oh, I'm telling you, when I was putting this together, Brother Ted, I about had to jump out of my seat. God heard his prayer. Abraham's cry, the intercession he was making, was spare my nephew. Amen. You know, oftentimes God works differently than the way we see. And in Abraham's mind, the only way we could spare a lot is not destroy the city. That's the only way this is going to work. But God knew the heart of Abraham's request was that Lot be spared. And because Abraham interceded, Lot was spared. I believe if Abraham had not interceded, Lot would have died with the city. Once Abraham had rescued Lot by means of force, now Abraham rescued Lot by means of prayer. He stood between God and man. Lot completely oblivious. Lot is cold, Lot is away from God. Lot has Lot has not even considered God. Lot has integrated himself into the city. Lot has not repented. Lot has no idea that judgment is about to fall on his life and Lot has no idea that his uncle is standing up on the hill interceding on Lot's behalf and Lot is spared and given another opportunity to repent because somebody stood in the way and pray. Next, last of all in your worksheet, I see, as we consider Abraham's intercession, I see his peace. In verse number 33, it says, And the Lord went his way as soon as he had left communing with Abraham, and Abraham returned unto his place. Abraham had pleaded his cause. He had made his request based on the righteousness of God. But then Abraham found peace in the same promise. As Abraham was praying, Abraham said this to God, Will not the judge of all the earth do right? And as Abraham reminded God of his righteousness, Abraham reminded himself of God's righteousness. As he reminded God that the judge of all the earth will do right, he reminded himself that the judge of all the earth will do right. And Abraham was able to go to his house in peace knowing that regardless how this turned out, the judge of all the earth would do right. You see, the promises of God are meant to minister to you and I. And as he prayed the prayer, not only... Was he able to have confidence in his prayer? He was able to have peace in his heart that God would do what was right. How about you this evening? Are you an intercessor? Are you standing between God and man? Are you pleading with God on the behalf of others? There are some situations that are out of our hands. There are some situations fast horse isn't going to help us. Some situations, our physical strength isn't going to do it, but we can always pray. Charles Spurgeon said, there's one thing they can never take from me, and that is the ability to call on my God. They can take everything else. They can take our church. They can take our friends. They can take our freedom. They can take the Bible. They can take it all, but there's one thing they can't take, and that's the ability to call on God. Are we calling on God? Who do you know? Who do you know that needs some intercession? Who can we find and say, I'm going to stand there in the middle. I'm going to be that one that they can say, somebody prayed for me. Abraham interceded on Lot's behalf. And as we'll see next week, Lot was delivered because of Abraham's prayer. Hopefully that lesson's been as much a blessing to you